All right, good morning, Fremont E. Free, or whatever time of day you're listening to the podcast. Glad that you're joining us. Today is Valentine's Day. So we are doing something a little bit different today for Valentine's Day. Rather than taking our normal walk through the book of Acts, which Jim and I typically do, uh, we're taking a little bit of a different course of action here where we're going to talk about marriage since it's Valentine's Day. And since we're talking about marriage, we thought it would be appropriate if I had a different guest. Jim and I could talk about marriage, and that would be great, but I'm joined by a very special guest today. My wife, Tanya, is here, and so we are talking about that. For those of you who are exceptionally worried about Acts 10, don't worry. We'll clean some of that up next week in Acts 11. There's a lot of repeat, actually. But today we thought it would be fun to do something a little bit different. Um, Carrie had the suggestion that maybe on Valentine's Day we we take a little bit different approach. And so I think it's a good idea. We're going to try it. Um, glad to be joined by you, Tanya. Yeah, um, it's great to be here. Great to be here. I'm glad to hear that. So, you know, I, I think we don't necessarily have a great plan for what we're doing. We're going on the fly. But I think what we're going to try to do is just reflect a little bit on marriage and things that we've learned over the years. So we've been married for 18 and a half years, roughly. Yeah. Um, in August of 2022, it'll be 19 years, if yep. I'm adding correctly. Correct. Um, good math. Well, that's good. We're on the same page with that. <laughs> so, uh, you know, obviously we we are not in the impression that we've got everything figured out or that we have a marriage. Oh, I thought you did have it figured out. Well. Well, we're in trouble then. Yeah, we're in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I think there's some things that we have learned over the years, but certainly there's, there's flaws in our marriage too. And hopefully, you know, if we were to look back 19 more years from now, we would see things that we've done differently. Absolutely. So all that to say, I, I think maybe the best way we could do this is just maybe reflect on some things we learned over the years. And so I, I, I think more than anything, the podcast listeners would like to hear from you on things we've learned. And then I'll just riff off that a little bit and kind of jump in. Cause, um, I know we've, we've even this morning just talked about a few things that we've learned over the years. So all that to say, like we've been married now for 18 and a half years. What, what are some of the things you felt like we've learned that have been most helpful in us growing in our marriage and hopefully being more honoring to Christ? Yeah, I think there are, there are several things that we've learned, but I do want to say that it took us 19 years to learn these things. It wasn't when someone shared these things with us when we first got married and we were like, oh, aha, we understood it. In fact, people probably shared these things with us, but it took us 19 years to finally understand how that fit into our marriage. So you right. might be listening to this and think, oh, that's a good idea, but it might take you another five, 10 years for you to finally see how it fits into your marriage specifically. So, Well, and, and let me add to that too, that I think you know, there's some particular things that we do that maybe work for our marriage that doesn't Absolutely. work for everybody's marriage. So like... What we're not saying is like, hey, this is the way we do it. You do it this way. But there are some things that we've learned that maybe there are some principles to pull out there that would be helpful, right? Um, but every marriage is different and every couple relates differently. And so I, I think it's key that we say that from the beginning, that it's not like just do what we do and you'll be fine and because that's not true. Like every couple mm -hmm. is different. But hopefully there are some principles that we've learned. And honestly, anything good that's happened has been the grace of God. Um, so let me just throw that caveat in there as well. But yeah, go mm -hmm. ahead. I think, I think. Yeah, so um, the first one that comes to mind that we've actually shared quite a bit with people that I would put that caveat on it is that this has worked for us, but we've had people try these types of things and it not go well for them. But it has been um, respite for our marriage. I think about year, year eight to 10 was pretty rough for us, I would say. And yeah. in that, in that hard season, that's when we decided what we call regular weekly in-house date nights. Right. And f for us, what that meant was that we spent time, um, in the evening where Ryan would take over the kids around 6.30. Sure. And that meant I no longer had to be on-call mom. So he would get them dinner. I could go take a long shower, just mentally relax, and enjoy the process of getting ready for a regular date. 
and he would put the kids to bed and I would get dressed up like as if we were going out to dinner. Right. And I would take the time to try and beautify myself. And then we would bring dinner into the house though, because of having young kids, it was expensive to have a babysitter every single week. So we decided to have in-house date nights and then we would have dinner together at a dining room table both dressed up like we're going out, but we were staying in. Right. And during that time, we would have at least an hour to two hours of just good intentional conversation. Right. And then after that, we would make sure to have great intimacy. And then maybe after that, we'd watch a movie. And having this every week for us, I feel like was pretty pivotal. And I think it was because we had intentional time of conversation, very intentional time of intimacy. And so over the course of the years that has grown to be one of our favorite things to do in a week and sometimes we even try and have more than one because we just feel disconnected from one another and we need right. to have that time really relating to one another so i think that was pretty pivotal in our marriage to add that into a regular weekly yeah i would agree with that i i think and this is where i would say um you know what works for us and you already alluded to this doesn't necessarily work for other couples but i think the principle there is that we needed to find some time where we were able to connect and work on mm, our relationship. Mm -hmm. Cause, um, I, I know this is true with every family that has kids and obviously we have four, like there's just a busyness that can easily overtake life. And, um, the, the, you know, the phrase, the tyranny of the urgent, like there's an urgency of like taking care of the kids and doing all these things that it's easy to push off our relationship and put on the back burner. And so, you know, I, I think the in-house idea was born of a couple of things like one, I mean, primarily at the time when we started this, we did have younger kids and they would have needed a babysitter. And there was a financial element to it, like that, you know, we didn't want to pay for a babysitter every week. But two, I think um, there's also an understanding that like by being at home, we could be more relaxed in our pace and not be worried about getting home to take the babysitter back or, you know, all those right. things. And to say we can, we if we want to sit at the table and talk for two to three hours, we can. And that's, that's totally within the scope of, of that night. Um, and so, and, and to like, just to be at home, like the physical intimacy part, like that you mentioned, like it was just easier to transition from that, the dining room table and not have to come home from a restaurant. And then, you know, at that point you're tired, you know, all those things. So I, I think those are some of the elements why we've done in-house date night. Um, and I think you're right. Like in particular, like for both of us, like we have different ways of connecting with each other. Like, and for, for you to have those two to three hours of talking was really important. Um, and for me to have a time where we're physically connecting is important as well. And so that's, I agree with you, that's been a huge game changer for our marriage. And I think it's something that has been really helpful. So I guess the question I would ask is like, why doesn't that always work for other people? Or, um, you know, because I think maybe we're trying, like what we don't want people to say is, well, I'm going to do just what they did. But why Absolutely. hasn't that worked for other people? And what's yeah. the principle there that we can work with? I think the principle is that we we figured out what the other person feels loved with. Right. And I have a lot of words and I like to hear your words back towards me. And so spending two to three hours, and we really prioritize this. I mean, Carrie knows Tanya is busy on whatever Ryan's day off is. I don't, we do not shift around that. We have that date night every week, unless Dawson's in the hospital. That makes it kind of difficult, obviously. Yes, that does but really, things. over the years, I mean, we have made that pretty... Um, important even if the kids have soccer games or track meets like we make sure that that is prioritized for our marriage and and so I think that it was the idea that we're prioritizing how the other person feels cared for and loved right. and so that's really kind of the core of what it is that I felt um 
loved by words and having lots of words. And actually, I would even say the the time uh, of not being a mom and, and getting the time uh, alone um, to listen to music and, you know, get ready for a long, because I, I do enjoy beauty. That's something I enjoy. So to be able to take the time, because I think beauty is art, and to take that time and not feel rushed and but it's evolved, I would say. I feel like what, what once made me feel loved through words and you felt loved through intimacy, like that's where we've grown to love it so much. The intimacy is just as important to me now that, as the words are as well. So because I have seen the great value of, of intimacy on our date nights that I feel loved just as much now through both pieces. And so I would just say the principle, you know, because we've had friends try this and they're like, it was a train wreck. Our kids were coming down. We felt like we were yeah. angry with them because they kept, a, you know, and we had to train our kids. Like the kids know on date night, you don't come interrupt unless it's an emergency. Like you right. stay upstairs while mom and dad are having dinner. And, you know, so I think it's just trying to figure out what does the other person feel most loved by and, and implementing that on a regular basis. Right. Yeah, I agree. That's the principle. I don't think it's the particular mechanics of how we do it. It's just the principle of figuring out how do we stay connected and, I know sometimes people think, well, you know, when you, when you have a date night or when you're specifically setting aside time for you as a couple, you, you feel like some people feel guilty because they're neglecting their kids. And, you know, I, I'm not saying like for our kids, like maybe date night isn't their favorite. I'm not sure. Although I'm a pretty spectacular <laughs> cook. They really enjoy my rotation frozen of pizzas. frozen pizza and pasta and frozen pizza and pasta. Yep. Basically. Well, sometimes you'll get like uh, what is it? CC's, not CC's, Five Guys or no, Little what is Caesars. Little Caesars, that's what it is. <laughs> little Caesars. But, just for the record, a big difference between Five Guys and Little Caesars. Right. But yeah, Little Caesars every <laughs> once in a while. So I think they really, I don't know if that can say they truly enjoy that, although they don't seem to mind that much. But, you know, I, I think for them, they understand like, you know, going up and they're able to watch uh, something on the iPad or whatever that they agree to watch together. And it's not always a seamless process. But what I would say for the person who feels guilty, like, that actually one of the best things you can do for your parenting is to have a healthy marriage. And so again, it doesn't have to look exactly the way it is for us, but to figure out some way where you're prioritizing your marriage relationship, I, I would argue, aside from tending to your spiritual care, which is the most important thing, like a parent who's not spiritually healthy, or for that matter, a person who's not spiritually healthy, not only are they not going to have healthy parenting relationships, they're not going to have a healthy marriage either. The most important piece is to tend to your spiritual care. Right. And um, you're, you're also showing your kids how to love your spouse well. Sure. So our kids know, and, and they'll have to figure that out on their own when they're married. You sure. know, how do I love my spouse? It doesn't have to be in-house day nights, but our kids know for sure that yeah. we value each other, right. even above them. I mean, right. I think they know that we are we prioritize our relationship over them, which is healthy and good because I'm not one with my kids. I'm one with my spouse. Right. And they see that every week and they they know we love each other a lot and that we, we really enjoy each other. They know that right. about each, us. Yeah, I, th I think that's the piece that is important is that they know. I, I think you're, first of all, having a healthy marriage will just spill out to your kids, right? Like it has positive effects on your kids in a way that they don't even notice. It's a subtle thing. But there is something that you're declaring to your children that is helpful for them down the road as they get married, which is that our marriage matters, right? And so, you know, to that end also, and again, this isn't this isn't the case for everyone, um, but we've, we've tried to make a priority of getting away at least once a year as well. Mm -hmm. um, and now, part of the reason we can do that is because my parents are generous enough to watch the kids and also because they have timeshares, which, you know, lowers our cost for vacations a ton. And so I, I want to be realistic and say that's not possible for everyone. Um, 
and, and, you know, I know some people have schedules where that's just more difficult, where they can't get their schedules to line up. I get all that. But um, again, the principle there for us is like, we have to tend to our relationship in the midst of having kids. Um, and, and I would say this too, because I, I know there may be people listening whose kids are out of the house, or maybe they don't even have kids. Um, if, if you're married, I think the idea that even if you don't have kids, it's easy to get distracted by, by the day-to-day of life. And so to make sure that you're just tending to your relationship and, and, you know, most of life seems like it's about intentionality. Um, that's true with your spiritual walk with Christ. It's true with your relationship with your spouse. Like you have to intentionally build into it if you're expecting to get anything out of it. And so for us, again, the, the principle here is that we're investing time, whether it be the form of in-house date nights or whether it be the form of getting away for a week, because we know that our marriage relationship is hugely important. And by the way, like, You know, I don't want to like Jesus juke everybody here and hyper spiritualize things, but like if if marriage really is a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church, which it is in Ephesians 5, then I think you could make the argument that even if you don't want to, it's still worth doing because you are picturing to the world around you like this is what the relationship between Christ and the church looks like. And so I say that to say some people might be in a, a situation where like quite honestly, they maybe just don't even enjoy being around their spouse mm-hmm. that much. But I would say it's still worth fighting for these ideas, even if you don't enjoy your spouse right now that much, mm-hmm. um, because of what it's picturing, which is the relationship between Christ and the church. And also I would say like, I, I think if you intentionally invest in the relationship, it's it's possible for God to restore what the locusts have eaten, to use the language of Joel, right? Like the, the God can bring back some of that connection that maybe has gone missing, that it's not impossible to restore it, but it does take intentionality, right? Um, right? And, you know, I would say the same thing if you have a relationship with your kids who's flawed and broken, like it does take intentionality to get back, you know, you just have to work at it. You have to be intentional. And so, I guess my encouragement would be like, whether you have kids or don't have kids, whether your relationship is healthy or not, is worth fighting for, most importantly, because it brings glory to God. And, you know, I would say over the years, one of the greatest evangelistic tools we've had, and this is by the grace of God, is is been is been our marriage and that we've been able to, like, people are like, what, you know, how do you, why do you guys still like each other? How are you able to, (laughs) you know, process these things together? Um, and we're able to speak, well, Christ has made the difference. Absolutely. Um, particularly, I remember when we were a youth pastor, when I was a youth pastor, and we were doing a lot of stuff in youth ministry, like, that was one of the things that our students would talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's a powerful testimony. So I, I guess what I'm getting at is, like, I think it's worth fighting for, even if it's hard. Mm-hmm. And it might feel rugged sometimes. One thing I, I try to encourage people when I share this idea is that it might feel, like, awkward and weird but just keep trying, keep trying at it. When we first started, it didn't feel like it flowed and it wasn't natural, but we just kept trying to change it and and make it to what our needs were. And that was fine. And to be honest, we joke all the time that about every 10 times we have an argument on date night. And (laughs) yeah. And sometimes date night gets shut down a little early. Yeah. That that's realistic. Like, it's not like every time like that we step in the dining room, all of a sudden we hear the birds chirping. Well, and and our sin is gone and we're somehow more holy, but sometimes it's because you know what, that's the first time we've had a good, hard, real conversation the whole week. And so we've had these things that needed to be tended to, and that just ends up being the time. And we hate when that happens because it kind of derails the whole night, but we usually do a redo, you know, because we were, we're wanting to work through those issues, but it happens. That's just 
that's just how it goes. And yeah, that's the truth. Yeah, <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, well, yeah. There, there's definitely nights where things go completely astray. And and to be fair too, like on our vacations, there's usually at least, at least one, one night like we're like we're really just not happy. Where we with go each to bed, other. one of us wanting to sleep on the couch or something, you know? Because yeah. it's it's the idea that you're finally tending to your marriage, and when you tend to your marriage, you're going to start seeing the weeds that need to be dealt with. Yeah. So I guess I guess to your point, like don't be discouraged if you right. jump in and it's a little bit rough and it's hard. And you feel like, I don't even know if I like having these conversations. Like it's still worth having them. And it's, it's, I think it's like anything, it's like exercise, like you build up muscle over time. And I think in marriage, like you, you build up some muscle there over time as you work out some of those details. And, you know, um, part of, part of being married is that there are going to be arguments and that you're gonna have to work through those and that you're gonna have to own your sin. Um, like you said, when we come to the table on date night, like we, we still bring our own sinful tendencies with us. Um, and that's, it's painful sometimes, but you work through those and you own your sin. You apologize, you confess, you hopefully repent. And then next time you hope it's better than last time. All right. So we've talked about that idea a lot. (laughs) Um, are there, are there other things that as you reflect on the last 18 and a half years that you'd say, yeah, this is, this has been key for us to just get to a better place. You know, I think that we, um, live in a world, I mean, we live in a world where we get to post what we think our relationship should look like. You know, that, uh, I don't know how many times I've seen friends post on Facebook, you know, the, the, they're out on a date with their spouse and they're, you know, so in love with them, blah, blah, blah. And they look so happy with what they're doing to only find out like a month later that they're getting divorced. And so I think what happens sometimes I can, I know every situation is different is that we want our marriages to look and feel a certain way, but when they don't, we just get discouraged and we give up. Hmm. And one thing I've often tried to encourage women that you and I have learned is that we have expectations of how I want my spouse to love me, how I want them to communicate with me, how I want them um, yeah, just to be in our relationship, but I want them to figure that out. You know, because we watch these love stories, we watch these movies, and uh, he always knows that the, the the main man in the in the movie knows exactly what to say that just you know makes her, you know, so giddy inside, and, and she knows exactly what to do. And the reason why they know what to do and what to say is because they have a script. They know exactly what they're supposed to do and say. Mm-hmm. And so it is very romantic. It is very sweet and and moving. But here's the thing is that I can give you a script. I can say, this makes me feel really loved. And I think that for some reason, we don't, we feel like it's inauthentic if we give our spouse a script of saying, I feel really loved when you come up from behind me and just hold my shoulders. Like, just give me a great big, you know, one thing I've had to teach Ryan is how to hug. He didn't know how to hug. He's not a hugging family. So I had to teach him. Like, I'm not from a hugging what, family. That is a true You know, there, there's some people in the church that I'm like, when they give me a hug, I just melt into their arms because they know how to hug. Ryan did not know how to hug. So I had to teach him. And I'm still not sure that I'm the greatest, but I'm, I'm working on it. Like my hugging skills have probably gone from like a one when we first got married to maybe like a 4.5. Yeah, yeah. Still Sometimes I'll be like, no, it's not enough. I need a little bit more. Like, yeah. And mm-hmm. so I had to coach you. I had to teach you. Like I yep. need that physical attention that's gentle and sweet like that. And so I think that there, it's a good thing to share your expectations of your spouse yeah. of how I feel loved and how I don't feel loved right. too. You know, that, you know, I know you're really doing this and you're trying to love me, but actually that doesn't really make me feel anything different towards I'm appreciative of it, yeah. but it doesn't make it less, um, 
valuable when you do it. I think people think it does that because, well, he's only doing it because I told him to. Right. But that's not true. The reason why you're doing it is because you love me and right. and vice versa. When you tell me things that you feel loved by or respected by, I'm not doing it because I have to. I'm doing it because I now get to and I understand right. that this is really valuable to do. So I actually think that's more amazing rather than, oh, I, I'm just doing how I think I would feel loved because that's kind of like selfish at some level. Like I think I'd feel loved by more touch. So I'll just keep hugging you and kissing you but right. that does that doesn't make you feel loved and sure so i just want to encourage people to to have those types of conversations because it's actually very very helpful and the same thing with date nights that it does feel a little weird and rugged at the beginning but over time mm-hmm. it becomes your natural tendencies that now like once i know how to love you well it just becomes what i do because i know that's going to be impactful for you yeah, and, and I would add, and this is maybe a variation of what we're talking about, I think one thing that we've learned has been helpful the last couple of years is just having conversations about what conflict looks like ahead of time. Yes. Meaning, like, we're having open conversation about, okay, when I get frustrated, like, this is the most helpful way to help me in that moment. And so both you and I have had that conversation where, you know, for example, I, th- I think we've learned about each other, like, when we get really tense and frustrated, like it's okay for us to just walk away from the conversation. And or to pray. Sometimes you're like, let's stop and pray. And I'm like, I don't want to do that because I well, know what's going to happen yeah. is my heart's going to be changed. But <laughs> Right. Or, or you'll you'll say, I think we should pray. And I'm like, but I know you're right. <laughs> like, in, I, But I, I think, um, you know, when we first got married and probably for a long time, like I just don't like the idea of having things unsettled. And so I just want to deal with it now and be like, you know, we just need to work through this. Like, And I think what we've learned is like, that so we've had to have conversations where we've talked about like that's probably actually not the most helpful because what happens is we start to escalate things and then we start saying things that later on we regret because we've crossed the line of being helpful to just being sinful Mm -hmm. like at at some point we're just wounding each other with our words and so we've had to have conversations where we talk about when i get to this point like i just need to step away and say hey we'll just have this conversation later um and you know like i can think of even a couple weeks ago you're in the hospital and we called about something and you know, I don't know if I remember the exact specifics of what we were getting frustrated with. And it was probably more me than you this time. And, and I just, at some point in the conversation said, okay, listen, we just need to stop the conversation. Like, I'll talk to you later. Bye. And like, it was pretty abrupt, but I think um, we'd have the conversation before that if we get to that place, that's an okay out. Like, right. because otherwise it's just going to devolve into sinful talk, like in where we're just hurting each other with our words. And so but I, I don't think you would have been able to handle that had we not had conversations beforehand about this is what it looks like for us to deal with conflict, yes. right? Yeah, absolutely. That we had set a, a standard or a boundary of how we were going to handle conflict when we were not in conflict. So it's conversations that we would have or even, you know, things that we say. There's certain trigger words that maybe we said when we were first married that just wasn't helpful. And so learning like me saying to you or you saying to me, when you say this, because it's a tendency that you have to say when we're in an argument, that actually escalates me more. Instead, I would rather if you could do B. And so having those same types of conversations of what, how do you want me to handle conversation going forward when we're in the middle of conflict and, and then adjusting to that, I think has been pretty helpful that it's okay to stop. But the big thing is if it does stop, that we come back to it because in those moments where we're not walking in step with the spirit or walking right. in step with our flesh because we're so defensive and want to win our point. But if we take the time to separate, pray, think through our issues on our, our own specific issues, my own sin, then we come back together and we're usually both in a much better place and, and able to deal with it to just walk away from it because it's too hard and, and you're, 
you don't want to deal with it anymore to never come back to it though that's not healthy yeah i agree with that i think you have to return to it like and i think what we've tried to be intentional about is to say all right we need to stop the conversation now, but we need to resume it. Like, let's let's make a plan. And sometimes we say, you know, it'll have to be a couple of days because we need, need some perspective. And in fact, one thing I've learned about myself probably the most over the last... 24 hours. Ryan needs 24 years, hours. Like, is <laughs> I'm a much better thinker 24 hours removed than I am yep. in the moment. Like, and that's a principle that I use at work too. Like, where, you know, I get an email or someone calls me and I'm just you know, I'm feeling pretty upset about it. And, and I just think, okay, I need to give myself 24 hours. And that's definitely proven true in our mm-hmm. marriage. Like I just need some time away. And and sometimes it doesn't even take 24 hours. Sometimes it's five hours. But the point is I just need to get removed from it. Like, because my initial emotional reaction is oftentimes not the best. Um, the, other, the other thing I would say about this whole conversation of, you know, conflict and, um, you know, you talking about how do we love each other the best and having those conversations is, I do think one of the things the Lord is teaching me also is that, you know, the person you're married to is not going to be Jesus or the, in your case, you're not the female equivalent of Jesus. I'm not the male equivalent of Jesus. Um, And it's okay sometimes just to realize our spouse is going to have shortcomings and, um, you know, to realize like there's just going to be some areas that I'm never going to be good at or that you're never going to be good at. And it's not that we're like, well, who cares? Like, but it's just to realize like we need to be gracious with each other mm. and to realize um, I'm, I'm not married to a perfect savior. Um, I'm married to a flawed human being who has a lot of great attributes, but also some weaknesses too. Mm-hmm. And that runs both ways. Like just to realize like it, it's okay that our spouse is not perfect. And, and to realize like, you know, we're never going to get to a place where we are Jesus, right? Like that's just, I mean, we're striving for that. Obviously that's the goal to be more Christ-like, but I do think there needs, needs to be a graciousness like um, in marriage to say, yeah, they're, they're not great at this, but that's okay. Like this isn't necessarily sin. It's just how they're made that they just don't have that strength. Right. Like, yeah. and I think sometimes we expect too much of our spouse that in a way that's just unrealistic. Um, and, and I think this is, I, I would actually say in the last six months to a year, this is something I've been convicted more and more about that. I just need to be more gracious. And that's true in parenting too. Like this, sometimes I have too high expectations for my kids. Like did I expect more of them that I even expected myself. Mm-hmm. And I think with you, sometimes I can be that way too, that I have a higher expectation for you than I do for myself. Right. And I think when we're, we're seeing sin of our spouse, there's, there's a few points that I would say, not just our spouse, but people in general that you and I kind of, does it meet these standards of, of, of addressing, you know, and, and one is how right am I? Am I, it's like, I'm for sure that this is true about the person and how important is that? Is it something that like, man, if they keep continuing down this road, it's going to destroy their soul. So if I'm very, very right about it, like I, I, there's no question about it. And I think it's, it's pretty important. Then I ask the question, do I have the relationship capital? Hopefully with my spouse, I do because we have a good relationship that I can say something. And the fourth thing is if I seen this pattern, do I see this pattern in Ryan's life that if he continues down this, it's, it's going to hurt him in the long run. If it's something that we've addressed in the past and again and again, and it's like what you're talking about, patterns of flaws or sin that you're struggling and wrestling with, it doesn't do you any good or me any good for me just to continue to be a dripping faucet over that one area that God just hasn't changed in you yet. And and maybe you're wrestling with it and you're not where you were 10 years ago, but you're still not victorious over it or myself other way around. And so I think that that's where the grace comes in that we've discussed it, we've processed it, and yet it's still a struggle. And 
therefore I just need to extend grace. So those are kind of the four markers that you and I kind of go through of deciding when do I share with my spouse this area that is frustrating to me or, you know, I, I see a sin. Maybe, maybe it is part of our relationship or maybe it's not. So how, how important is it? Um, how right am I? Do I have the relationship capital, which I hope we do. Right. And then is it a pattern that I see in their life? And then if it does, then we can talk about it. But if we've already talked about it, we usually let it go and just pray for well, them. And yeah, I think the pattern, the thing too also speaks to like, if you, if something just happens one time, um, that, you know, maybe sometimes just worth like, it's just a bad day. Right. Like, whereas if you see a repeated pattern of like, you know, if, if one time, I don't know. I'm just thinking of an example. One time I lose my cool with the kids in a way that I don't normally do. Like you, maybe you just talk about, well, maybe that was just a bad day. Like, um, but if it starts to become a pattern, then it's something you do need to address type thing. Right. Um, yeah. I think that's also, so it, that kind of, the pattern thing works both ways a little mm-hmm. bit like that, you know, a person, and, and I think about that with conflict with people in the church also, like if, if someone does something that's out of character one time, like it's probably not worth necessarily addressing. You're just gracious. Like, but if a person keeps doing something in a way that's hurtful, then at some point you have to address it. Yeah. And then you address, you do too. address it. But then if it's a pattern that they're, they're fighting it, but they're not having victory over it. They're right. trying. Then and that's, that's what I, that's you're talking yeah. about. It's showing right. grace and understanding that this just isn't the season where God is changing them. So I'll just keep praying for them rather than making them feel guilty. You know, as I'm reading this book called Help a Mary to my pastor, which is a fantastic book, by the way. And she just talked about how like my role is not to, to berate you and make you feel little, but I'm to be your helper and to build you up. And so most of the time our, our spouses know what their flaws are and they know their issues, especially as a, as a pastor, people will point them out to you. And, you know, so I'm, I'm not to be another person pulling you down and pushing you down, but to lift you up and encourage you. So to be, be careful about the ones that I'm going to point out and, and hopefully graciously reveal to you. Yeah, obviously that runs both ways. And I think the important thing to remember is we're not the Holy Spirit, um, and we have to trust that the Holy Spirit can do a better work than we For can. Real. absolutely. All right, we, we've talked quite a bit. So is there any last thing you want to talk <laughs> about? Because I, I don't want to turn this into an hour-long podcast where we're just riffing on marriage. But um, is there anything that you want to throw in as a last last thing here? Uh, it's, a, it's a big nugget, so I know we're not going to be able to talk very much about it. But I think that over the last 19 years on the biggest changes in our marriage actually was our view on intimacy. You know, when Ryan and I first got married, um, we came from a a world where, uh, sex and intimacy wasn't talked about very much. And so maybe that'll have to be a podcast for another day someday, but, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. you know, just this idea that, um, it's an act versus an emotion and a relationship part. Um, I think we never got taught until probably last eight years that sex isn't just about sex. It's about intimacy and connecting emotionally. And I think that that isn't something that we, yeah, we just don't talk about or give thought to, you know, it's it because our culture talks about how it's about pleasure and enjoyment uh, on the physical way and not an emotional way. Um, it's just an act, you know, that's why there's there's what there is out there. I'm not going to go into the details of what's out there in, in the world, but there's just a lot of things that's just about the act of sex that's just unhealthy and not biblical. But you look at Song of Solomon and it's like, it's beautiful. It's intimate and it's relational. And I think that learning that for us was, was a, a big change in our marriage as well, especially for me as a girl who some may or may not know that I have a pretty rough uh, past and, and came from a, a world of abuse that learning that intimacy could be so relational was hard for me to learn. But once I began to understand that, it really revolutionized my understanding of sex and our relationship in general. 
Yeah, so maybe expand on that. Like, how did it change your way of thinking? Like, how how was that helpful for you? Yeah, I think I think just what I said before that it really was. I thought just an act. Like, you know, I just need to fulfill this uh, role that I've been given to to make sure that Ryan's needs were met physically. Like, mm-hmm. that is my role as his helper is just to meet his physical need so that he will not be tempting after or be tempted by other people or mm-hmm. lust after. Um, it really had nothing to do with us as a unified in a unified marriage. It was about Mm -hmm. just meeting that physical need. And when I began to see that sex for you was an expression of love, it wasn't just an act. It was that it was me you desired. It wasn't just anybody. You wanted me as your wife to be one with you. And that it wasn't just a, let's just make it happen to be done and walk out. You know, like it was, you wanted the, the time with me and, um, that when when we would have that time, you felt very loved by me. You felt in, you felt close to me, versus I had the view of just make it happen and walk away. Like that right. that's that's okay. That's biblical and good because mm-hmm. I'm meeting his needs. I'm fulfilling what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, I can check that off the box. But when I saw how like much love could be in it, and mm-hmm. um, learning to ask questions about how you felt loved in that, um, and and seeing that for me to think through how to love you in intimacy, it just, it just changed. It really did change. And, I, and maybe I'm not being clear enough because no, it's good. kind of a hard topic to talk on. on yeah. I mean, <laughs> on the list of things I thought we'd be talking about on a podcast where the whole church could listen if they wanted to, I'm not sure. I thought we'd go down this road, but it's good. It's helpful. I think, I think you're right that most of the time people view physical intimacy in a utilitarian way, like that we're just, you know, that we're just crossing off a box here because we know we should and it's good. But, you know, I, I think it's worth asking the question, like, why did God create sex in the beginning um, to start with, right? Like, yeah. um, you know, and why is Song of Solomon in the canon of scripture? And I, you know, not to get into a long, complicated discussion here, but I, I think ultimately it's the point is to the intimacy that we're to have in our relationship with God, not in a sexual way. Like, I don't, I don't think, mm-hmm. but I think the, the, that the physical intimacy we have in our marriage is meant to point us to something greater. Right, because there's a deep closeness that I don't I have with you that I don't have with anybody else. Right, and so I think that is like why is Song of Solomon in Scripture? Why does God make sex? I think it's ultimately to help us understand what true intimacy looks like. And again, I, I'm not saying that like our relationship with God is like that, but I think it's it's Pointing. an echo of something greater, which mm-hmm. is the intimacy we have with God. And so to just view sex in a utilitarian way that we're just exchanging like, well, you know, you might be tempted, so I'm going to do this, or you know, let's just let's just make sure we get off the list because we're supposed to. Like, I think is missing the point of why God created it and the beauty of it. So. Yeah, and I think once we understood that, like, then it became less about me getting my needs satisfied or you satisfy my needs or vice versa. And it became more about, like, how can how can we have a relationship that helps us to connect e- together and how is sex a part of that? Yeah, and, and I've and, talked with a lot of yeah. women that, you know, have backgrounds that I do or maybe just a grew up in the church where sex wasn't talked about. And, and I don't want to discourage them if they're like, well, I could never feel that way or, or you know, I just, that feels, it feels too offbeat for me. I don't want them to feel like, well, they have to understand this immediately. This took us years and years of me walking through some of my past and and dealing with those issues of of why, asking a lot of questions of why do I feel this way about sex? Why is my view not like the maidens in Song of Solomon? Why? And, and stripping apart the lies that I once believed, that took a lot of pain, right? A lot of, of dealing with those past issues 
and, and then replacing them with what was true. And what was true is that I was valued by you and, and I was greatly loved by you and cherished by you and that I could, I could be vulnerable with you and, and know that I was secure with you and safe with you. And that took time. So to not feel like, well, I don't feel that way about sex. I could never feel that way about sex. So right again, I think it, it's, it's a work in progress for all of us. It takes time. And, and, and just to be clear, like Tony and I don't have everything figured out either. We have plenty of arguments and we've had some even this week. So like, that's just (laughs) the way it goes. Like, but we're trying to work on, and hopefully again, 19 years from now, when we doubled our marriage, that we'll be in a better place than we are now. So I think we've probably said enough for today. Um, it's, I'm glad that you're able to join. That was fun. Um, it's. I mean, I'm not saying this in offense to Jim, but I much prefer looking across the room and seeing you. Uh, <laughs> you're much m- more beautiful in my sight than Jim is. And Jim, I, I love you, but that's just the way it is. So anyway, uh, we'll stop now before I say anything else pretty dumb. Um, and I hope that I hope this is helpful for you. And I hope you have a great Valentine's Day. But more importantly, I hope that your marriage relationship helps you to see your relationship with Christ in a different view. Because I think that is the ultimate goal. And hopefully you have a desire to work on your marriage because of that. So all that to say, happy Valentine's Day, and we'll catch you next week.